listeners, you're listening to Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier. And Sarah Cho. And today's topic for today is radio plays. Now, to kick off our episode today, we'd love to bring on someone who is going to help frame this discussion, okay? He is a copywriter, screenwriter, internet writer, and a budding novelist. He's worked as a screenwriter for MTV, Marvista Entertainment, and Lifetime, which produced his film, Adopting Terror. I've seen it. Y'all can see it <laughs> somewhere on the, on the internet. Has written numerous radio spots for clients at a major ad agency here in Los Angeles, which he'll be sharing his experience just a little bit to talk about radio. Here is my fiance, <laughs> Nick Franklair. I was waiting for that last part. I knew I knew that would be the highlight of the biography (laughs) coming from Sarah. Nick, welcome to Beckett's Babies. We're so glad to get to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So share with us, what's your experience been like writing radio spots? Okay. What makes radio different from other medias? Uh, Well, you know, most obviously it sort of cuts your toolbox in half. You don't have uh, visuals to rely on. You can't show anything. You have to kind of get... 100% 100% of the meaning across with um, 50% of the uh, of the communication. Um, so there's a lot of, um, you know, being descriptive. I had a, a creative director once call it, you know, the theater of the mind, kind of putting words together that, that create the picture. But, you know, the other thing about radio, at least advertising, is you can't count on the fact that people are paying uh, that close of attention to what they're listening to. They've you know, usually they're in their car or they're in their office or there's something visual going on in front of them and you're trying to capture their attention, you know, only with what they're hearing. Um, so you have to, I think, uh, make an effort towards simplicity, you know, visual description, but but keeping it simple enough where the communication comes across quickly and easily um, and uh, and count on the fact that they that you have to win their attention from whatever's going on in front of them in reality, not just take it for granted. So what are some of the tools that you have to to win that attention? Uh, part of it is is think of it, you know, a little bit uh, as storytelling. I mean, there's the ob- there's the obvious things like sound effects and music. There's, you know, the sort of um, audio elements that aren't voice that can help grab people's attention. But to keep it, I think you really have to think of it in terms of um, sort of playing a game with the audience. I mean, there's mm. uh, an example is I had a, an automobile commercial once where I had the character uh, who was speaking, you know, a, a car engine would start. And you've heard a million car engines and a million car commercials. Um, but the game of this one was the the speaker would guess what car engine it was purportedly blindfolded and say, oh, I recognize that one. That's the, you know, that's the truck or whatever. Um, so kind of hooking them in with a little, um, like a little bit of a game or a little bit of a story, even in something as simple as an ad kind of helps uh, maintain that attention after you've caught it. Oh, well, I was just going to say when it comes to like simplicity, are you trying to come up with as few words as possible? I guess obviously for ads, but like the right descriptive words, the right. Yeah, I mean, ads have the, um, uh, you know, have the liability of being forced into a specific time frame. You know, you have a 30 second spot or even have a 15 second spot. So in that case, you're right. It's it's brevity. It's how it's how much information can I get across or how much entertainment can I get across in as few words as possible as possible. But I think even if you were to apply that concept to narrative writing, um, you know, really crisp, clear descriptors that that paint a picture in someone's mind without having to have them follow a long, complex 
description or, or getting too lyrical or something that could get them lost because they're not looking at the words on the page. They can't construct the sentence in front of them. They're trying to follow your voice and trying to follow your narrative as they're hearing it. So I think in that case, brevity and being concise, but but also vivid with your with your words is helpful as well. He's smart. <laughs> What a vote of confidence. (laughs) Nick, I'm wondering if, you know, some of our listeners might be curious about how you got into this. Um, Can you give us a little summary of what your path was like to get into doing this kind of writing? Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, I moved to Los Angeles after college to pursue pursue screenwriting and worked, you know, sort of assistant jobs or kind of lower level entertainment jobs. Um, And when I got my sort of hooks into it a little bit um i had you know did some <laughs> there's that dog there's yep. that dog i heard it <laughs> um i did uh some work that was kind of like gun for hire work which is how i got the lifetime movie and and ended up developing some other scripts at some other places but it wasn't coming as as uh fast and consistently as you'd want to live in an, an expensive metropolitan area so i sort of started looking for um you know what how can you write and how can you be creative in a way that uh, is a little bit more financially stable and, and puts a 401k in your back pocket and that kind of stuff. Um, and advertising was just something that I noticed a lot of people in entertainment gravitating toward. Even production companies here that make you know movies you see in, in theaters have kind of a, a side hustle themselves doing uh, producing ads. Um, so it seems like there's this symbiosis, in, at least in LA, between the two fields. Uh, so I took a portfolio development program um, called The Bookshop here in LA, uh, which has a pretty good track record of um, <clears throat> helping creatives develop ad portfolios and then helping them find jobs at agencies. Uh, and so doing that helped me to find the job at the agency I work at now. And it, it's, uh, you know, a, a great environment and, and a place that uh, seems to have a lot of stability and a lot of opportunity. So I've stayed there for as long as I've continued to pursue writing in other ways. All right. Uh, you guys, I'm sorry about my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I love your dog. There's something happening outside. Um, all right. So I guess... Last question, although you, I think you answered a lot of it, but before we let you go, Nicholas, because you're a very busy man, <laughs> um, when you're sitting down and you're creating something for radio, um, what is the process? Like, what can you kind of tell us a step-by-step process you're kind of going through, like, which maybe our listeners could um, apply? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think a little bit of it is is figuring out first, what you want to get across, like what are the most um, concrete points you want to communicate, whether in advertising it's sales points or in narrative, if it's, you know, um, exposition or some kind of plot development, you know, what are the few points that you need to get across? And then like I spoke about, what's the sort of um, game that you play to get that out there? But I think in radio, what makes it different is there's this production element of getting sound effects and, and usually music mm-hmm. in as well. So, oh, and doing a voiceover record, which is its own kind of... Um, uh, you know, be kind of directing the the performer to um, speak in a certain tone or to um, speak at a certain pace to fit in the time. And so there's a there's a little bit of, of tonal stuff that goes on as well, because you'll hear a voiceover read and realize that it needs to match a certain type of music, or maybe the music or the sound effects, the audio design you laid out doesn't quite fit the, um, the gravity they read it with, or the speed they read it with, or maybe they read it brighter or more enthusiastically than, than the music. Um, you know, would communicate. So in addition to the writing, there's also this, this production process of making sure all of the audio design communicates the same message in the same tone. Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. I hadn't, 
I hadn't thought about how the the you know the tone of the voiceover needs to match the tone of the music, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that I've seen actors just repeating the same thing over and over and like mm. like making it louder, softer, like more enthusiastic or angry and just kind of getting all the different um, styles across. Yeah. But- yeah, I'm sure that's something you'd find with producing narrative work for radio as well, that whatever audio design you imagine being in it, apart from the performances, you know, you may listen to them both at the same time and realize, you know, that the, the way the actor deliver it, delivered it doesn't match the the uh, tempo or whatever of the music. So there's a little bit of playing with it to make that kind of all work in synchrony. So actors, your Meisner technique work is going <laughs> to play a huge part in advertising. <laughs> Except Meisnering is all about like having another person right there in front of you, right? Right. But just v- pretend <laughs> that the audience is there. Okay. Well, do you have any questions, Sam? Um, where can our listeners find you? <laughs> I'm right here, Sam. <laughs> I'm right here in front of this microphone. <laughs> if, if people are interested in hearing or seeing some of your work, uh, where should they look? How could they um, see your film if they're interested? Um, that I don't know, but I know that I that I have a website. <laughs> that's my that's my name. So nickfranklair.com. Uh, n i k f r a n k l e h r e r dot com. Um, my film, I guess you know, Google it. <laughs> i got a dvd copy and that's the last i uh listeners it. let me know and i can send it to you <laughs> <laughs> wait we only we only have the one copy all right thanks nick thank you guys have a good rest of your podcast thanks you too i mean have a good day <laughs> oh man that was very informative very informative. There's um, so many things about radio I never thought about before. Yeah. Um, and like a true ad man, he ran off. Quick, came in quick and just <laughs> ran off into the distance. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So after hearing all that, let's now try to apply that into playwriting. Yeah. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot um, during this strange time is how um, you know, there are other forms of theater besides the, the kind where we all have to be together IRL <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in the same place. And, and that there's a long history of radio drama in which, um, you know, you can hear a story performed by actors um, over radio or um, on a podcast or some other internet method. And I've been thinking a lot too about how many playwrights, particularly in England, um, got their start writing plays for radio around, you know, the middle of the 20th century. There was a, there was a big push um, by the BBC uh, radio drama program to commission playwrights to write plays for radio. So, and, and also I've been thinking about this too, because, um, where I live here in Maine on Sunday nights, uh, LA theater works. Um, they, the, the public radio station plays a play every Sunday night by LA theater works. And if you go on their website, they have a catalog of 
hundreds and hundreds of plays that you can listen to. I think many of them for free. Um, and it's such a great resource. I send, you know, my students are reading Arcadia for my um, intro to drama class. And I sent them a link of the LA Theater Works recording of Arcadia because usually in class we would read it, at least some of it out loud together. And we're not able to do that right now. So I just think it's such a good resource. And this pandemic is making me think about how some of those tools have always been available to us, but maybe didn't seem as necessary. Mm. Yeah. And I think plays really lends itself to radio because it's so Mm -hmm. dialogue driven that there is no other way to really like other than seeing it obviously performed by actors, but as another way to bring theater to your home, it it's audio. Um, and I think I want to talk about just as a listener, as you're sharing that you listen to um, LA theater works, like what, when you're sitting down, you're like listening. Um, what do you find? Like, what do you notice that you're like listening for or um, how are you visualizing it or what, in what ways does the play sort of um, work through your mind, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it's a really good question because this is something I've thought about a lot. I've found that it's really hard for me to just sit still and listen to something. I mm. can't do it. I have to be, um, I have to be doing something with my hands, you know, or moving around. So, so I like to listen to it while I'm like folding laundry or washing the dishes, you know, or, or doing something that um, occupies my hands but not my mind. Um, And that allows me to then really focus on what I'm listening to because it it does require an active kind of listening, kind of like reading a play, I think. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have to conjure so much of the visual yourself. um, And I find it hard to do that, to, to give it that kind of focus if I just like sit down and sit, like I can't concentrate um, in that way. And so what do I listen for? Um, you know, so I've listened to a couple of them. So, and they, they're really different kinds of things. So some are plays that are specifically written for the stage, but others are adaptations of novels. So like I listened to the Jane Eyre one a few months ago, which, you know, is a stage version of Jane Eyre, but it was adapted, adapted from the novel, of course. Um, and, so in order to do that, you know, much of the story was abridged and much of what would happen over a hundred pages happened in just like a, a one minute kind of narrative sweep. <laughs> mm. um, so that was interesting to see how like, okay, you can summarize um, a lot of information very quickly in just kind of a narrator's voice. Um, Right. But, and so another thing I've been thinking about too is it's difficult when you have plays with big casts, at least it's difficult for me to keep track of who's who. It's much easier, you know, if there are like four or five characters to keep track of the voices than Mm -hmm. if there are 15 characters, then it becomes harder for me to really... uh, remember who, which voices go with which characters. Yeah. Um, 
a podcast that I've been pretty actively following is called uh, Playing on Air. And it's a radio program. Um, it's all about dedicating to really like short plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I've noticed that. I've noticed that the most, I think the most I've, uh, actors I've heard on was maybe three. And that mm-hmm. third character sort of like comes on and exits, like enters and exits. Um, but it's mainly two people, one space happening in like right now um, in that 30 minutes, which is basically all like one act plays. But yeah, but I feel like that is like, oh, when it comes to radio, it's pretty effective because I cannot imagine. I'm like, OK, where are we now? We're in the forest and now we're in the, <laughs> the living room and now we're this like constant yeah. changes. I I think I feel like as a listener, I would probably get confused quickly. Um, but, but you know that makes me think too of how because it's all sound you can't you know the flip side of that is also true which is that you can make it sound as if things are happening that aren't actually happening or you can make it so uh so I have to rewind a little bit to get at what I'm saying which is that when I was a kid my dad had all these um cassette tapes of these performers named Bob and Ray who had this radio show and it was just these two guys Um, who would do these sketches in which they pretended to be all these other characters and, and they, you know, they would change their voices to make it sound like they were playing lots of different people. And so there's a way in which if you just have sound, you can actually create the illusion that, that more, that there are more people or that there are more places or scenarios happening you can make the sound of footsteps you know or the sound of a door opening um when really it's just people sitting in a room and so and they so they did sketches like about outrageous things like a guy who would race butterflies (laughs) or um (laughs) like they they had one who was an interviewer I think maybe he was a journalist who was visiting this guy who had a museum of all these glass fruits and vegetables so they're made out of blown glass and every time this reporter turned around he would knock one of these over and there would be this big crashing sound um and so it it, i think one of the really great delights of radio is that just because because as nick was saying you're working with half of the communication possibility you know you're reduced to just sound you can also use that limited sound to evoke um, this whole world of images in the in the listener's mind to conjure this, you know, set of images that are not actually real. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. I was just thinking one way to maybe um create the different spaces is kind of like Pavlov's dog. If you have like a sound cue of some kind, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that could sort of like trigger like, Oh, you're like, rec- there's like a pattern being set of like, Oh, this is, we're now this like jingle sound. We're now in uh, someone's living room. And then mm-hmm. maybe like a whoosh, like a sound of a wind. We're like, Oh, now we're in a fort. Like, and maybe something like playing with that. I, I feel like that would be a great creative opportunity for yeah. like sound people who are just like really into sound effects um music and uh but yeah definitely that's making me remember I haven't thought about this in so long but I read this uh screenplay years ago 
it must have been written in like the 30s or the 40s um about this boy whose dog dies and he goes to heaven to try to <laughs> to try to get his dog back from heaven and spoiler alert in the end you find out actually the boy is also dead um but uh, it sounds very sad but it's not sad but the the whole <laughs> the whole story is like him going to different parts of heaven and he goes to like the home of the wind and then the and then the home of father time and it's exactly like what you're saying so with every new setting like when he enters the the house of father time you hear all this tick-tock tick-tock of all the clocks and mm. cuckoo clocks and like big uh pendulum swinging back and forth and then when he goes to like the wind house or whatever you know you hear the sound of wind so yeah i think you're right you you can have there's a lot of creative room to use sound to evoke different settings there's a way in which sound is such an intimate sense and i've seen some articles recently about how you know zoom and video chat and watching things on video can make us feel really disconnected because of the slight delays um in video Mm. we we're not able to do the the very small and unconscious mimicry of each other's faces that we're used to doing um when we see people for real Mm. but but sound so talking to somebody on the phone instead of through video or listening to the radio um in a way can kind of circumvent that frustration because when you have a sound like going right into your ear I don't know I think it 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 accesses our our brains and our emotions in a more um intimate and direct way maybe than watching something on a screen does especially now I think what's um there's I feel like there's been like a resurgence of audio with like podcasts and um, audiobooks and mm-hmm. and I, I just think about what you're just saying right now how al- almost always it is like a solo experience it's just me and like the car and I'm in my car um and I'm just trying to like pass the yeah. time <laughs> and while I'm sitting in traffic um but it that that in level intimacy is just like me and what I'm listening to directly like that is its own experience um yeah I, I mean you can listen to a group I, I mean imagine back in the days people were all like surrounding the radio and listening together but there's yeah. something about that like quiet quietly sitting and like listening intently and um what's going on um is an own experience yeah yeah well yeah and well what if you had somebody else in the car with you like do you do you listen to things like that when you're driving somewhere with nick or is it more kind of an individual thing i i think it is oh well, like when we'll just radio in general we're like sitting in the car but then i'm always reacting I'm like oh god i can't believe that they're saying <laughs> this about the current administration and of course and then we like lose half the thing that we're saying because i'm like interrupting every five minutes <laughs> yeah so i'm pretty sure nick does not have the the true experience that he would like to experience while listening to radio because I'm constantly interrupting. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. 
When I was a kid, we would go on long road trips, and sometimes my family would um, get from the library. We'd get these, you know, CDs of um, selected shorts. My mom discovered these, so they're short stories read by actors, and those were really fun to listen to together. Yeah, that's interesting. I that's what I'm kind of noticing, right? Like audiobooks, um, and or like how you're talking about these British, um, like adapting books to kind of dramatize it and actor and then plays itself. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if there's something all of those three. Like I feel like when it comes to creating something for the audio, it seems it does feel like novel is like the probably the closest thing. Like a screenplay won't work. Like you try mm-hmm. to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Like there's something about novel that it, the way it's you're describing and you're setting up and you're creating the world, the way it's written it probably translates way better into yeah. audio. Or short stories. Short stories, yeah. Um, because of the length. But I, I do think, too, there's something to be said for works that are specifically written for the radio, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess we should, of course, mention the, I think the most famous radio show ever recorded was The War of the Worlds, mm. um, in which it it was structured like radio news broadcasts um for people who don't know but they were these broadcasts were reporting an invasion of martians (laughs) and it was like uh every few minutes they would kind of update the story with oh well now there's some strange object that landed in this field oh now there's a cloud of poison gas oh now a martian is coming (laughs) (laughs) and um you know there were reports that people really thought this was real and they Mm. called 911 to report it and and then i think now the now the general consensus is that was kind of overblown and not many people actually thought it was real but um but it was um, and then correct me if I'm wrong. Who who's the one that created it? Wasn't it um, Orson guy, Wells? Orson Wells. Mm-hmm. So prior to this, was there anything like it? Like that was like radio. There, well, it was. I or think radio was, plays. There were, but I think um, what made it what made this one different was that it wasn't. So a lot of radio drama back, particularly at that time, was like lots of action, you know, especially like the Western ones, there would be like gunshots and dramatic voices and like footsteps running back and forth or whatever, lots of sound effects. Um, And this one was um, kind of more slower paced and not sensationalized. It had this very kind of serious tone and, and it, it mimicked intentionally this, the style of, news broadcasts and so in that way it was really unusual right yeah that's what I I think I remember learning about it um in film school was like how it like took the form of yeah what you said like a broadcast radio news and it was like very like realistic and grounded and Mm -hmm. it was like building up so that people were people were tuning in were like 
oh, just like another radio, but like this is very captivating for some reason. <laughs> like it's just like what is going on. Um, but yeah, I think that is such a good example of what Orson Welles did was like he took an existing form mm-hmm. and then like and he sort of made it his own, like creating something what people found familiar and like took it whole turn, like a whole new turn or twist yeah. with it. And yeah. I think that is something like um I've just been like more I was like I've been noticing a lot more because I, I mentioned on this show I've been reading the book The Originals and I finished it. Mm. And and that's one of the things that originals or like thinkers do is like they take an existing form that everyone recognizes and is familiar with. So they're like very kind of like ease into it. You know, they're like very familiar, like, oh I know this world. I know this like form or I know this type of book or this type of thing, like it's very familiar, but you Mm -hmm. as an artist or you as a creator, you're like, what do you do with that familiarity? You know? Totally. And that's why I think it would be really cool to see a new form of zoom play. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we just think of all the things you could do inside that form, which now everybody Mm -hmm. recognizes. I just, I mean, this week, Parks and Rec did a whole episode on Oh, they Zoom. did? Yeah, uh, which was really funny and really fun. And it's like to see everybody seeing these characters, uh, like what does the world look like for these characters in pandemic? And it was like yeah. they really leaned into that. And so – and it was all like, yeah, on Zoom um, or like a, a form of Zoom. But yeah, it was like – I think it was like a half an hour long. And Sesame Street <laughs> did that too. They did an episode mm. called Elmo's Playdate. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, where Elmo was video chatting with all of his yeah. friends. Yeah, I would love to see how – what are some creative ways that playwrights and theater people are going to do with Zoom, the form? There's so much you could play with. I mean, just the idea that people, you know, carefully design their background – I mean, you could, you could have <laughs> right. so much fun figuring out what a character has placed behind them, you know, um, or maybe there's something just out of camera view and then it's revealed. I think, yeah, I think that could be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Or maybe people will uh, create radio plays. <laughs> or just yeah. kind of like create. They should. I mean, so I don't know if you all noticed, listeners, but... I have a new mic. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely noticed. Okay, great. Um, but uh, this mic was—I don't know—I don't know how long I've been waiting for it. I think it was like a long delay. I get—I understand that delivery right now is kind of hectic, but I also noticed that a lot of mics out there are being sold out because I'm wondering <laughs> what's going on. People are recording, doing podcasts, so take your mics and make something out of it. <laughs> yeah. That's right. This is all to say, uh, if you guys have a short play uh, that you want to share, if it's like a two person, then maybe me and Sam could read and we could. And if it's three person, then then you, me, and Nick could read it. Yes, Nick will (laughs) come on and read the 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 small lines. Um, Yeah, so share with us what you got, and we love to share it on our show. Yeah, send us your radio plays. We'll read them. And I'll, maybe we'll re- we'll write one too, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, we'll share. We'll we're, we'll read and all. I feel like we said this and then we tried or like we forget. I, no, I think what happened was you wrote it and I didn't, and I will forever feel bad about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this time I'll do it. We'll we'll read it. We'll actually. I think the last time we just talked about it because I don't think I actually read it. Did I read it? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, okay. I think we read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll we'll write another one. We'll all write another one. Yeah. We will. <laughs> uh, well, shall we move into Glistens? Okay, I have to say, I've been reading this book. Um, it's called How Should a Person Be? It's by Sheila Hetty. And it is one of the weirdest books I've ever read. It's fascinating. I don't know if I hate it or love it. Um, it's It's a novel, but pretty frequently it will shift into um I guess I just want to call it play form because it, it's just dialogue with the characters names um I really don't know what to make of it this is my lesson I'm not done with the book yet so I, I can't really come to any kind of conclusion except that if anybody out there has also read this book I really would love to talk to you about it <laughs> <laughs> That's my uh, glisten. It, 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 it doesn't sound like a glisten. It sounds more like a plea. Like a plea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I mean, okay. I, I, it's like I go back and forth between really loving it and being mm-hmm. like, what is this even doing? I mean, mm. in terms of its form, it's really fascinating and it's exciting to read a book um, that's so unusual. But I find the characters very annoying. You know, I mean, I think they're in, they're intended to be annoying. Yeah. Um, they're kind of like a self-centered, narcissistic, creative 20-somethings who are all, you know, making art. Um, and so maybe that's like too familiar to me. <laughs> that's why I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, but But I'm really excited by what she's doing with um the structure of a novel what's your glisten sarah um my glisten is i spent 24 hours watching i don't think it's bad it's it's funny but uh a coming of age tv series called never have i ever on netflix (laughs) (laughs) it's it's about so my sister reaches out to me she's like have you seen never have i ever now she is like the queen of just like First, like, trashy TV shows, like, uh, coming-of-age teen movies. Like, she loves that stuff. Like, she just loves it. And she's 30 now. And I told her, you know, it's okay to love that stuff, but don't love us too much because you're, like, getting there. Um, Looking like a true older sister. (laughs) But you're right. But she's like, you have to watch Never Have I Ever. So I'm like, okay, I I don't have anything going on right now. I'm just going to watch a couple of episodes just to say I watched it. And couple of episodes led to watching the whole series uh in 24 hours um there's 10, 10 episodes so tell me do you yeah. mean like you watch them all within a 24-hour window yeah i just watched oh my it all. god <laughs> they're, ten, they're, they're half an hour they're 10 episodes it's it's pretty doable but yeah i just watched it all just consumed it all because it was one it was just really easy to watch and very digestible so i was like oh this is just mindless show i could get into um, but the thing that my sister said, which was so funny, she was like, Sarah, 
awkward girls like us are having a moment. <laughs> like the awkward weird girls are having a moment right now. And it, basically it's these, you know. If but you isn't remember- the show about children? Yeah, it's about these teenagers. It's about this girl, this Indian American like, girl. Um, that's not you because you're 30? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's true. Like we're, we're like adult women. But I think the thing that I'm I just keeps- teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> the thing my sister keeps like talking about is like I wish I had a show like this growing up. Yeah. Because if you think about like the, I I'm trying to remember like a coming of age like a dorky girl was the movie I think about is She's All That. Oh, but, I never saw that. But the girl, the lead, or the the weird quirky weird one, and people have parried it. And she's like still gorgeous and beautiful. Like she's right. very like you know movie star. But we're like watching these like TV shows that are like. First, there are people, there are like people of color. Like this one was about Indian American girl, mm-hmm. and then like what you know, what it means to be Indian. I mean, like in school and uh, you know, falling in love or trying to get a boyfriend. She has a strict mom and all these like Indian traditions. Like so, it's kind of like stuff you sort of recognize. Like oh my god, yeah, like being an like having an Asian parent and just like the things that you have to go through. That specific mm-hmm. experience. So that's why my sister was like. When she, I think when she said these awkward young girls, like we're having a moment, you know. I think what she's really saying is like, it's these stories that you don't have, you haven't seen, yeah, uh, traditionally. Like it's it's now it's like coming about, and there's more of it. So, but that's why <laughs> that's why I'm just like that. I think it, that's sort of the draw that maybe I'm watching. But also it's like it's really funny. Like Mindy Kaling, she's executive producer. It's her show, and so mm-hmm. um, it was like really funny and witty and sharp. Um, but, but it's also just like really just your typical bad teen soap opera show. Do you think it's because all those awkward girls in the nineties who didn't have stories like that grew up and now they're writing these shows? I mean, that's pretty exciting to think about. I think so. I mean, it feels like that. I mean, that's, well, when I read interviews about those showrunners, they they all kind of pretty much say the same thing. I was like, I didn't have a show like this growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like my sis I mean, I don't say this out loud. My sister does. So I'm just going to throw her under the bus. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like I love imagining like I'm that person, that girl going through this like experience or like this, mm-hmm. like recognizing it. And like it's like so easy to jump into their shoes than mm-hmm. some like, you know rich white girl like mm-hmm. yeah and we're like i'll never get into that <laughs> i mean I right. could try it's not as much like it. work to to right. imagine yourself you yeah. know being in that story yeah that makes yeah. a lot of or something like like it's so fun to watch but like i don't know if that's like, gonna ever happen to me or like i don't think i've had that similar experience or like i did kind of explain similar experience but it's not my experience because it's this other pacific specific person's experience and i'm like oh but it's fun to watch but it's right. not. But something about like when you recognize the the person, I'm like, oh my god, I'm her. She eats kimchi like me, and <laughs> there's a boy she likes, and oh my god. And then what does that mean? Like being Korean and smelling like kimchi. How do you get the guy? <laughs> you know, it's like it's such a you know specific yeah. experience. But yeah, um, but never have I ever. If you have um, the patience to watch teenagers. Make full of themselves. Highly recommend. Cool. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll All check right. that out. All right, listeners. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something about radios. 
<laughs> Send <laughs> us your radio kids. plays. We want to we wanna read them. Yeah, we want to read them. Thanks, everyone. Share, subscribe, like us. Or Review don't. us. Review us. Or don't. See, I, I say don't because I'm trying to like play that reverse psychology. Like don't. Oh, I know, got it. Got but it. I know they want to. Okay, but don't. <laughs> okay, bye bye.